I wanted to share my life and my story and any advice that I can give and any help that I can give with more people. I didn't want to shut it out. I wanted to be able to open up and tell people my experience as I am telling you now and tell people how they can get through those tough moments, how they can be resilient, how they can really understand, how they can gain happiness in their life, how they authentically can live a life that truly makes them feel overjoyed, that makes them have these moments in our time of life that just feels amazing. My story and my experiences is why I started this YouTube channel. It's why I started this podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rob Talks podcast. And this is episode 10. Now, this episode is going to be slightly different to my normal episodes because I'm just going to be really talking about one topic this time. And the topic of today's podcast episode is why I started Rob Talks. I'm going to be delving into my story more in depth and really helping you to understand why I started this and why I speak so much about mental health and mental well-being and any life advice that I can give from my own experiences and even things that I've researched and found out myself. And so hopefully this episode will truly If you haven't seen the previous video, please go watch that. But hopefully this episode will explain everything in detail. And if you are someone who is struggling out there, maybe you'll be able to take some of the lessons that I learned myself within my own journey. But also to add on that, if you are struggling, then please reach out to your local doctor, reach out to your GP, reach out to a specialist who can help you or even contact a charity hotline such as Samaritans. Because honestly, if you are struggling, it's much better to, rather than stay quiet, to try and get help and to try and move forward. But anyways, let's get straight into this. So my story very much begins with me finding out about having testicular cancer and that feels weird saying that now because I've never said it before on this podcast but it's what happened so on the I think it was the 27th of June of 2019 I was on a date with my girlfriend and we were lying in a swinging basket and once I was out of the swinging basket and we hopped over a fence and I was walking down the main path of the park, I then got a shooting pain that went from my left testy up through to my left kidney. And honestly, it was absolutely horrible. I still remember it now. It felt like someone was stabbing me. It just felt like the worst pain I've honestly ever felt. And I'm sure that there are many guys that can relate to times of where you may have been hit in the private parts, be it cricket, football, or just mucking around or whatever it is. And so it can be really painful, but this was like that pain, but then times by 10 or even 20, it was horrific. And at the time I didn't really know what to do. Our only option with myself and my girlfriend at the time was to just try and go home. And so I kind of walked home and eventually got back to where we were at the, where we were previously. And what we were doing was 
something that is called well dressing. And now to explain well dressing very briefly, it's basically where you get these wooden boards and you put clay in them and then you use flowers and petals of flowers to depict different uh, pictures or different pieces of artwork to essentially celebrate the giving of water and the building of fountains. And this happens in some areas in the UK, but I would say if you are interested in it, definitely find out more about it. And essentially all I remember happening is that I was very confused, but of course it's something that is to do with a very private part of any human being. And so I wasn't going to tell anybody. And I remember it getting to a point of where I was stood at one of these big boards and they're really big. And I just started to kind of dull over. My eyes started to glaze over and I could see kind of darkness starting to happen. And it was just because the pain was so bad. And so eventually I sat down on a chair and was given a glass of water because everybody thought I was fainting because of the heat or something like that. And I told my mom what I had felt and what was going on. And so instantly we went to the GP, which is like your local doctor. And to be honest, I was just confused. I was in pain and really I just wanted the pain to stop. I had no idea what was going on. And the GP didn't know what was going on because normally when pain like this happens, it's because of something called testicular torsion. And that is actually where your testes are twisted, which can be quite dangerous in some cases. And so when he realized that that hadn't happened, he was confused himself. And so I then went to the hospital with my family and I remember just kind of laying in a bed and this funny kind of thing happened of where basically lots of doctors came over to see me and to see how I was. And slowly but surely they went up in rank until eventually we kind of got to the top consultant that was in the area for focusing upon your testes or focusing upon kind of that area. I don't know the technical terminology for it. And they basically said that I had to stay overnight. And I remember there's a very clear picture that my girlfriend at the time took of me and I was not impressed. I was not happy. I really didn't want to stay overnight because it's a hospital. It's a hospital ward, a hospital bed. And I had a cannula that was stuck in my arm here, uh, right near above my elbow. And it was just painful. It was annoying, but luckily, I got through the night and it was fine. And then I woke up the next morning and my mom and my girlfriend came and uh, it was great because I got given food. I was watching Sky Sports because there was the Cricket World Cup on at the time and I was absolutely loving life. It was it was great. And I thought this will be nothing more than some kind of bacterial infection or I, I don't know, something that I can't explain, but it's nothing serious. And eventually I went for an ultrasound scan. And that is the same scan that you actually get for when you are pregnant. And I got this scan, of course, um, on my private area. And I just remember the whole time asking the doctor or the specialist who was doing the scan, asking, what can you see? What is there anything there? Or what are you even looking at? And so it was very confusing because he also wouldn't tell me. And I understand now why he wouldn't tell me. But at the time, you just want answers because you've been laid in a hospital bed for hours and hours and hours. And so you want answers. You want to be told this is your problem or that's what is wrong. 
So eventually from having that ultrasound scan, I then went back to my kind of space of where I was in my ward and just laid in my bed talking to my girlfriend and my mum and watching the cricket. And then eventually, as I kind of detailed in my last video, very much like a scene out of Casualty, three doctors walked down the main part of the ward and they stood at the end of the bed and shut the curtain. And instantly, as soon as they shut the curtain, I thought, this is kind of scary. Like, I don't really know what's happening. And they asked my girlfriend to come back in a few minutes at the time. And I just remember, if I do remember correctly, one of them kneeling next to me or at least coming to my bedside to explain what was happening and what was wrong. And as I say in my story, I will never forget what he said. He said, Rob, we have found two lumps in your left testy. And he detailed the sizes of them, what type, and eventually revealed that I had testicular cancer and that they were that they were very high percentage sure that it was testicular cancer. And so at that point, my feelings and emotions kind of went, okay, this isn't good. This is not great. Anyone who gets cancer, it's not good at all. But then literally immediately afterwards, he then said that I had a 110% chance of survival which to me at the time made absolutely no sense. But I will not lie to you. When I heard that, I was like, this is like a miracle. Like, I've got cancer, but I'm not going to die. And that's because we have so much of this stigma that leans towards that if you have cancer, you are 100% going to die or you're going to have like the worst experience you possibly could ever have in your life. And so I really just took that statement and ran with it and no matter what details he was telling me about the cancer it kind of just went all straight over my head and i just was kind of there like i'm gonna survive i'm gonna be okay and i think there was certainly there was a form of grief in there of being deluded and kind of not realizing what the doctor had fully said to me at that point but i just knew that i was going to survive and that's what made me at least feel as though I had some form of control. And then I very much remember my mum was of course incredibly upset and it's understandable. And I remember having the conversation with my girlfriend as well and telling her, and it was, it was hard because it was not what we expected at all. And it was kind of very much a punch in the face in a weird way. It just hit you and the news hit you. You didn't know what to do. But from that point of being in the hospital, I was still kind of processing everything, but not processing it very well. And was kind of just still thinking, I'm going to survive. I'm going to be okay. It's fine. Let's get on with life. Yada, yada. And then I realized, of course, that that night was a level prom which for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically the last chance of where you get to see loads of your friends and you get to have a good night out and you get to celebrate the kind of years that you've had in sixth form and kind of going through being 17 and 18 and the last years of your school education. And so it's meant to be this amazing, momentous occasion that is so much fun and always has so many stories that you can tell afterwards from it. And 
I just remember going back to my girlfriend's house and thinking, I still want to do this. Like, I don't want to just be stopped because I've been told that I have cancer or something like that. I want to go to prom. And so in the end, despite kind of feeling very weird about everything that had happened that day, I went to prom. And I remember that I was in a sort of mood of where I was talking to my mum about it in the car of how do I tell people or do I even tell people? And this is something that I think I was always confused to, even to this day of whether I made the right decision or not at the time. But I decided to not tell anybody. I decided to admit to some people that I was in hospital, but I didn't tell them why. And that's because I was still processing it myself. And in the end, I only fully told, I think, about one or two people of, uh, of my closest friends. And yeah, I just didn't want it to ruin their night at all. And so I just kept prospering on. And to be honest, I had a great night. I drank lots of wine as everybody else was and had a great time and really enjoyed it. And it was kind of a great moment and opportunity to just forget about the day that I'd had or even the past two days that I'd had. And so we then moved on from prom and the next kind of big event was the fact that I was told by the doctor or the consultant that was looking after me or looking after my case per se, then said that I needed to have surgery as quick as possible. So as far as I remember, it then literally was set up for the next Friday or something like that, that I needed to have surgery. And so I had to have a pre preliminary kind of meeting with a nurse or doctor to be able to go over a certain few things. And I, I just remember it being, it was a very interesting chat and we talked about lots of things. And there's always one thing that I will never forget of that the, the nurse said uh, something along the lines of, oh, you've just finished your A-levels. Oh, that's fantastic. It's now A-level summer. That's, that's going to be great. You're going to have so much time to go and do whatever you want. And I, I literally, I just looked at my mom and I could have burst out laughing because I just thought it was so ironic that I think she hadn't added up the fact that I wasn't maybe going to have the best summer. But I still remember that. And I still remember even on the day of the operation, I was so scared. I've never been knowing of having an operation any operations i've had were when i was a baby and so i don't remember them i don't remember any of the things that happened and the doctors even did little things to try and make you feel a bit happier like at one point he, they have to mark out on your body of where they're going to make the incision and where they're going to actually do the surgery and he jokingly came in and the anesthetist um basically with the doctor they they suggested that they were going to do it on the wrong side <laughs> which i found absolutely scary at the time but looking back it's absolutely hilarious i'll, I'll give it to I'll give it to the doctor. He was a comedy genius. And I was very scared being like, no, 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 no. It is definitely the other side. Definitely not the right-hand side. It's the left-hand side. <laughs> but anyways, I then went from there. And all I remember of the operation was just talking to the anaesthetist and telling them about university. And then next thing I know, that was it. I was asleep. And next thing I knew, I woke up and I was in a ward bed again. And it was really strange because you are still under the influence of morphine and under the influence of any drugs that you may have been given. And so 
you don't entirely know what's going on. And I'm sure that so many people have seen like YouTube compilation compilations of people coming off morphine and stuff like that, where they say weird things. I remember it as not being that weird, but according to my mom and my girlfriend at the time, I was being weird. So that was understandable. And I just remember being given these biscuits and being told that I needed to eat and I needed to drink and I needed to try and come round from the operation. And yeah, it was a weird realization. I probably did the worst thing possible of where I wanted to kind of see what had happened. And so I, I lifted up the kind of covering that was covering the wound at the time. And all I could see was just blood down my leg and it was scary and I didn't really know how to process that because I knew I'd just had surgery, but I hadn't fully understood what had happened. And my brain 100% had not processed the fact that I had just had my left testy removed. But moving on kind of from the operation and the very medical side of all of that, I then went on holiday, which was a crazy time. And I remember one of my friends came to visit me before I went on holiday to give me some a picture frame that had been made by my friends. And it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. But I knew very much at the time that I was still in pain. I could barely walk. I could barely move, to be honest. I was kind of stuck on being in my bed or being on a sofa but eventually we went down to this place that we go to on the southwest coast for holiday and it was nice it was nice to be there but still very tricky and this is kind of where i started to go into a different phase of processing what was happening to me and i think really this is where the kind of the struggles that i had with my mental health at the time or my mental well-being at the time really started to happen and it was because i was processing the fact that i couldn't walk i could barely move and so i felt useless and my life had been degraded down to the fact that i needed everybody to help me in some way somehow to get food to get water to do any basic necessity i needed some form of help of even going to bed and moving around and for anybody who knows me, I'm an incredibly active person. I love going outdoors and doing mountain biking and running and loads of different things. And so for me, not being able to move was horrible. It was genuinely horrible and was really detrimental on my mental health at the time. And I, I genuinely think I, I started to become quite depressed, especially within the first week of being on holiday. And I really hit an all-time low to the point of even kind of having suicidal thoughts and not knowing what to do but then it's really weird because I'm sure so many people can relate in that when you hit that lowest of lows it can be like the weirdest of things that make you feel better and I remember there was kind of two moments there was one moment of that it was the cricket world cup still and england were in the final which was unprecedented really england aren't always the best at when it comes to tournament sports especially in cricket and we were in the final and we were playing new zealand and it came down to the last part of the match to define who was going to win the world cup 
and England won it on the final delivery. And I was absolutely ecstatic. Me and my brother went absolutely crazy. I, of course, could barely move, but I was very much throwing my hands in the air and just overjoyed. And that was just so nice to have in, in a kind of week of where I just felt so bad to have a moment of joy like that. Just, it gives me goosebumps even now. I loved it so, so much. And the other weird thing that happened as well was the fact that I was one night feeling really down and struggling. And it was the weirdest thing of where someone, and I can't remember who, someone in my family suggested that we should watch a film and that we should watch Mamma Mia, which for many people, it's a very polarizing film. Some people hate it. Some people love it because it's Abba songs. And I always used to sing to ABBA songs. I, I will be truthful about that. But at the time, I didn't want to sing. I felt terrible and didn't like it at all. But as the film went on, and I started to get a little bit more into the songs, I started to feel at least a sense of joy again and a sense of happiness. And that's really what singing brings me a lot of the time. But just being able to do that, it just brought me some form of happiness, which was so nice to have in such a, a dark time of where I was struggling. And I remember instantly I went and spoke to my friends afterwards and I spoke to my girlfriend. And I really felt that I was going to get out of this kind of spiral is what I like to call it, this kind of spiral of being depressed. I was going to get out of it. I was going to feel better and I was going to get better. And really that's what happened. And I cannot thank enough the people around me, my girlfriend at the time and my friends and how much they would listen, how much they would just listen to me just yabbering on and, and saying all these different things and how my life was and stuff like that. And just being able to listen. That was one thing I think that I learned massively at that point was that I remember one of my friends asking, I don't know what to do, Rob. Like, what am I meant to do to help you? How can I help you get better? And honestly, all I needed was people to listen. I just needed people to hear my voice, to hear that I was going to try and take action to feel better and to be happier and to not be depressed or not be anxious anymore. And they massively helped with that. And so I cannot thank enough the people who are around me. And my mom and my dad and my brother were always there and even at the times of where maybe they didn't know what to say they always helped me and always helped me to feel better and to get better and in going on from my holiday with my family i in fact had a holiday planned with my friends and this was the first time ever that we were traveling properly as a group and going even internationally and what we had planned to do was basically called interrailing where you go from place to place via a train and I remember having to speak to the doctor and making sure that I was allowed to do this. And they signed it all off and said it was perfectly fine for me to do. And so I went, I went on the holiday. And honestly, it was so much fun. It was so nice to go to all these different places. We went to France and Italy and Austria and Slovenia and Czech Republic and Germany and the Netherlands, loads of different countries and all these different cities and really, it was just so nice to get away and to really be, in a sense, distracted, distracted from the kind of 
suffering that I'd gone through in some ways in both my physical and my mental health. But I do remember at one point of that, even when speaking with my friends on that trip, I realized that I needed to acknowledge I was still struggling. I wasn't, I hadn't just gone from zero to hero and everything was perfectly fine. I was still struggling and I was still processing everything. But going on that holiday was honestly so much fun. And really it makes me go back to the point in my head of where I always consider that if people are struggling and you're struggling because you're really stressed or because your thoughts or what you're thinking about is really focused on something in particular or focused upon something that is affecting your mental well-being it honestly helps to find ways to think of something else and i mean maybe it doesn't have to be as extreme as going on holiday but even going out and doing exercise or doing something that is different to kind of distract yourself from that pain that you may be feeling it does help now it's very much a kind of short-term thing but in the short term it will help in the long term you do have to tackle it but in the short term it honestly massively helped me and i had so much fun with my friends i can't stop saying it because i did i had a great time and then from the interrailing, I then was told that I needed to have a round of chemotherapy. Now, chemotherapy is something else which has a lot of kind of stigma behind it. And understandably, in some cases, because it's always seen as something of where you're really ill and you lose your hair and you really don't have a nice time. And from my experience of having chemotherapy, it in fact wasn't that bad. And I feel as though I was lucky in some in some way because i only had one round of chemotherapy some of the other children and teenagers that were on the same ward of me were having i think at points even over 10 rounds and so had no hair left and were very much still enjoying life and getting through trying to beat their cancer and so my round of chemotherapy was strange it was not what I expected at all. I, I understood that I was going to be kind of injected with these some form of liquid that would be able to do something that was going to make me feel better, at least stop the cancer from potentially spreading to other places, such as within my bloodstream or my stomach, or more importantly, my kind of lungs and potential lymph nodes in different areas. And so the chemotherapy was very much needed to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. And all I remember was just that it was an incredibly cold liquid going around my veins. Like they, they very jokingly said that it just come from the fridge or the freezer. And I just remember feeling it at the point where I couldn't feel my left arm anymore from where it was being injected in and going round and round my body. And it was, it was really strange. It was really strange, but to be honest, the chemotherapy wasn't that bad. It was only afterwards and the kind of after effects that it had in terms of making me ill or in terms of just any other effects. So it massively affected me in terms of making me feel tired and making me feel as though I had a lack of energy, which just really didn't help because I'm always someone that wants to have loads of energy so I can go and do whatever I want to go and do. And so I struggled with that quite a lot, but chemotherapy overall was not that bad and the nurses and the people there the specialists were so supportive and really it was only at that point of having chemotherapy that I started to engage with a therapist and considering being 
considering talking to someone to process really what I was going through. And it was very funny because the first therapist that I went to, I didn't like at all. They used too many metaphors and said too many, too many kind of analogies that were focused upon that this will take time. And that's not what I wanted to hear at the time. I wanted to hear what the answers were. What can I do to make myself feel less depressed? What can I do to make myself be happier or to even in a lot of cases, I kept using the wording of that. I wanted to go back to my old self. And to kind of touch upon that, something that I learned that was massively important with that aspect, especially when talking to therapists, was the fact that I had to accept change. And I had to accept that I was never going to go back to old Rob. Because from this experience, a new Rob had really been kind of shaped and molded. And so that was going to be me going forward. And so I needed to accept that change had happened. I needed to accept that I needed to move forward and really beat this and go from there. And so then going on from the chemotherapy, this is where there was kind of a really important transition for myself as I was 18 years old and I was just about to start university. And luckily for myself, my university kind of process went pretty well. I got into the university that I wanted to and going to Loughborough University and doing the course that I wanted to do. And I even got into accommodation that at the time I wasn't too happy about, but once I got there, I was fine with it. But I remember the after effects of the chemotherapy were still very much affecting me. And so freshers was incredibly hard and talking to my new roommates was incredibly hard because you didn't know whether to tell them about what you'd been through or you, you didn't know what excuses to make of why you couldn't go out or why you didn't want to stay out really late tonight when you're meant to be partying, you're meant to be having the time of your life as a fresher. And so it was really tricky to know what to do. But eventually I told my flatmates and I told them what had happened and it honestly made me feel better. And it made me feel as though I was in a closer knit group and that I could have more honest conversations with them in the future. And some of those flatmates that I met in first year, I'm still very much great friends with today. And so going forward from that point, this was then really where my mental health took a toll again. And it was because going to university is a big shift. You're all of a sudden incredibly independent. You've got work piling up on you of projects, of coursework, especially in the kind of work that I do within design. You just get coursework after coursework after coursework assignments. You don't get exams. It's kind of piled upon you and you're expected to keep up with the pace. And due to me struggling in terms of feeling tired and feeling a lack of energy, but also because of how my mental health was being affected, I started to get something which people talk about a lot in terms of think, considering when you're struggling with your mental health and it's called mental fogginess. And this is essentially of where your thoughts are kind of in this weird fog of that they're not processing normally and you're not kind of being yourself all the time and so it makes you struggle and it makes you feel worse it makes you not feel happy and it makes you struggle a lot of the time and so consequently i struggled then with keeping up with coursework i struggled in keeping up with all these assignments and all these different things that i was trying to do and trying to live my life normally and so 
I really struggled with my mental health and kind of went through another period of being quite badly depressed and procrastinating and not knowing what to do. And this was another moment of where I thought I would try therapy and seeing a counsellor again. And so I did. I saw the counsellor at the university, which still to this day, it annoys me that the system is set up of that you can only have something like six free counselling sessions. And then if you want more counselling sessions, you would have to pay X fee or you would have to go back on the waiting list or you would have to have some form of diagnosed mental health illness, which I can entirely understand with that. But I needed more than six sessions with what I was processing. But anyways, I went to the therapist and within a few sessions, she realized that I really needed answers or I wanted answers. That's all I wanted. I wanted the sessions to be a way of being able to unload what I was thinking and feeling and everything. But also I wanted actions. I wanted to know what can I do to be happier? What can I do to make myself feel as though that I was back to some form of normality? And so the first lesson that I really learned from seeing that therapist was massively all to do with something really simple, but something that I always consider within my life. And it's to do with your perspective. And she just said simply that it's to do with that if you ultimately want to be happier, Rob, then you have to have a more optimistic mindset. You have to have a more open and happy perspective. And I don't know why. I just not, I hadn't considered that at all. I was so much in this spiral, in this bubble or whatever you want, would want to call it of feeling down that I couldn't see the answers. I couldn't see what I needed to do. And so I went home from that day and was like, yeah, I'm going to change my perspective on life. I'm going to improve my self-talk and improve how I'm looking out at the world and understand that this is very much a journey. I was treating happiness too much as it's just this destination. But happiness is honestly this kind of journey that you just go on throughout your life. And there never is a destination of reaching ultimate happiness and then you're happy for the rest of your life. It's very much a journey that stems and flows as you go through life. And I only started to understand that at that point. And so honestly, from having those sessions, it really helped me to turn around. And I... I also used a form of technique which can be quite polarizing. Some people believe in it, some people don't, of really visualizing myself in the future because I was struggling with my confidence. I was struggling with so many different factors that were then contributing to me feeling sad or feeling depressed. And so I needed to find a way of being able to go, no, we're going to try and aim for this to be happier or to not feel as down. And so I visualized myself. And I visualized myself in the new year and kind of like at least for around Easter. So we we're about Christmas time at this point. And I visualized myself of being around Easter thinking, I think that by Easter, I can get myself to a point of where I have an optimistic mindset. I am really happy about where my life is at, at the time and that I truly have overcome and beaten this disease. And in terms of the effects that it has caused me with physical and mental health. And honestly, with a lot of grit and determination and really just 
focusing upon trying so many different things of exercising more of changing my diet of talking to people more of trying to understand how I could implement things like mindfulness and meditation more into my life and really finding how I could be happier. I eventually found it. And it was really strange because I honestly think it's one of those times in my life of where I've been at my happiest. And the only way that I can explain it is that you just go through life with this feeling of warmth constantly, this feeling of brightness, this feeling of joy in a way, but also most importantly for me at least, it was a feeling of peace. It was this feeling that life was something that I could be so happy about that I could grab and I could take advantage of to really help myself to do the things that I wanted to do to achieve the dreams and aspirations that I had in my head and to really pursue this journey of happiness and to pursue just looking after myself and looking after my mental health and looking after my mental well-being and I think something that maybe at the time I didn't consider and I really consider now looking back is understanding how much I had to adapt within my own life. I had to adapt to being that person who has only got one testicle. And that that may be graphic for some people listening, but that's the truth of it. That is the simple truth of it. And I had to become used to that. In some ways, I'm lucky because people won't know about it unless I tell people. But I had to come to terms with that and then the effects that it has on you. And there are so many funny stories that I can tell you about in relation to that. So feel free to message me if you want to hear them. But I think, yeah, some of them would uh, not be what I would want to share on this podcast episode. But it was very much so much adaptation that I had to do and so much of accepting change. And then really it brought into this thing that I spoke about in about two videos ago of this understanding of control. It helped me to not feel anxious anymore because I started to understand what I had control of and what I didn't have control of. And that was just down to the fact of that I could say to myself, I'm in control of X, Y, Z. One thing I'm not in control of is the cancer coming back. It could come back. And I remember even a point within Christmas of where I was going to have a MRI scan on my lungs because that is one of the potential areas where the cancer could come back. And they had said that they'd seen these little nodes and that they needed to make sure that they weren't going to grow into anything and potentially become cancerous. And I was scared. I was super scared. I really didn't want to have to deal with something that extreme again and so i really started to realize how much i needed to understand where i did have control and where i didn't have control and i'll be honest by that time of march april and i remember a massive shout out to g one of my good friends g from loughborough university i did his podcast and told my story in a way and that was the first time I'd said it publicly. And I honestly just felt so great. I was in the best place I've ever been in my life. 
And I think in some ways, this is probably very naive, but I'm going to say it in that because I had just beaten cancer, I felt invincible. My confidence was higher than it has ever been before because I was like, Rob, you have just gone through the toughest journey you have ever had to go through in terms of your physical health, or at least knowingly, and especially my mental health. And so I just knew that from kind of that day forward, especially after having done that podcast with my friend G, I wanted to share my life and my story and any advice that I can give and any help that I can give with more people. I didn't want to shut it out. I wanted to be able to open up and tell people my experience as I am telling you now and tell people how they can get through those tough moments, how they can be resilient, how they can really understand how they can gain happiness in their life, how they authentically can live a life that truly makes them feel overjoyed, that makes them have these moments in our time of life that just feels amazing. And it even brings a smile to my face now, because honestly, my story and my experiences is why I started this YouTube channel. It's why I started this podcast. And it's not because I want to just go and change so many X amount people's, of people's lives, or I want to make X amount of people happier again, or something like that. I just want to hope and pray really that anyone who is listening to this can take whatever snippet it may be that may be from my experience or from things I've learned from the tough times that I've been through or even the things that I've found out about when doing research and trying to build my own knowledge that you can take little snippets apply it into your life and see what happens maybe you're able to then get through those tough moments yourself Maybe you're able to be, become happier, to enjoy life more. Whatever it is, I do not care. I just hope that what I'm speaking about and what I'm doing with this YouTube channel really, really helps people in some way, shape or form to take a snippet and apply it to their own lives. Or even in the most basic of senses, just to listen. Because I feel as though, especially the topics that I like to concentrate on, we know they have stigma around them. We know that they have taboo around them. And we know that we don't talk about them enough. And even when we still see all these things of hashtags on Instagram and we're seeing all of this kind of shift in society that we are talking about stuff more, there are statistics that are very much proving the opposite. Men's suicide rates, and especially suicide rates within young adults and teenagers, especially within the UK and the US, are horrendously high. They're scarily high, really. And I don't want to be sat here being someone that isn't doing anything. I want people who have, or even are at this moment, if you are struggling like i'm not the professional i'm not the expert but if there's anything that you can take that can help you to get through that tough moment then i want to be able to tell you and so this really concludes this podcast episode and i hope that now 
you start to fully understand why I do Rob Talks. Yes, there's an element of public speaking, but most importantly, it's because I went through the craziest experience in my life that I now want to share with people. And I want to be able to help others who may go through experiences like myself or even experiences that are worse or even not worse, whatever they may be. I want to help people where I possibly can. So if this is the kind of content that you're interested in, if you want to hear more, then please subscribe, follow, hit the like button if you have really enjoyed this podcast episode and feel free to message me to reach out to me if you want to have any kind of conversation about these topics or about even something that where you may be struggling in life. But my most important piece of advice, if you are in that space, is to go and seek professional help. Because I know from my own experience, it's one of the hardest things to do. But once you do it and once you see your GP, once you see a doctor, once you see a therapist, once you see someone who knows how to deal and help with help you deal with situations like you may be going through, it will help massively and it will help you to really live your kind of new life. Maybe not to be the person that you were before, as I kind of said earlier, but to be the person that you want to be for now and the future going ahead. So thank you so much for listening to the Rob Talks podcast, episode 10 of why I started this YouTube channel, why I started Rob Talks. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next Monday for another video. You have just been listening to the Rob Talks podcast. Thank you so much for listening and please make sure to subscribe and give me a follow on YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, or even LinkedIn. And I will speak with you soon. Stay safe and have a great week.